Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. If I've not met you before, my name is Steve. Delighted to have you here. Hey, one last announcement that I wanted to make. This one's a little um, maybe personal for me, is that we have this 50-plus thing coming up this weekend with the Quartet Plus One. And I realize that you know, we have so many new people, maybe you don't understand uh, some of the context right, of why anybody would come for a quartet plus one. But there's the reason. It's the fancy shirts, right? And uh, a couple of these guys, uh, we, I mean, we've been singing together since the last uh, of the 1990s. I mean, a long time. And uh, we never promise that we'll be good, but we do promise you have a good time. All right, we will have fun. We're gonna sing. We're singing Southern Gospel, the music of heaven. Right? I know some of you doubt me. We're gonna get there. It's soul music, right? Um, and uh, we also uh, encourage you to invite your friends. We'll share the gospel, but you you really do need to have a ticket. So uh, they're free. I think they're free. I don't know. Maybe they cost. I have no idea. Just see Don. Don, do they cost? Okay, sorry, Don's charging you. So there you go. Uh, so, uh, but make sure you get signed up. Uh, but we really do need to know if you're coming, but it's this, this coming weekend, and that'd be great. Secondly, already mentioned, um, it's a really good problem to have, uh, but we're, we're just getting more and more full. Last weekend, I, uh, in fact, in this 930 service, he was even a little fuller than it is today, and, but it, family came in we couldn't get them seats and that uh, as, a, as a you know pastor always hurts my heart which is one of the reasons why we're really trying to lean into phase two uh, but like if you look over a year ago we're running about 200 a weekend more uh, but here's the thing maybe you could help us uh, our biggest services are 9 30 and our 11 our five o'clock on saturday has room it's an idea identical service to this we have all of our children's ministries the only thing we don't have is our middle school and high school but uh but nursery up to fifth grade uh, if that would work for your family could i encourage you maybe to check it out uh, i love our saturday night service it's it's fun i think it's even a little more relaxed and uh, it's just good uh plus there are no parking issues there all right i can guarantee that or we have an 8 o'clock service. Now, that's a little different service. It's a little more traditional. I call it our early 2000 service. Uh, and a choir sings, and uh, actually the quartet sings from time to time. And it's just a little different feel. Uh, but a same sermon. So maybe that would work for you. Uh, but if we could get some folk who normally attend this one to kind of move. and uh, Because the thing that... Uh, I know is that not only are we in the middle of a growth time, but our biggest growth time every year comes in January, February, and March. And I'm just getting concerned about, man, we want to be able to minister to people in our community. So if any of those other times work for you, we'd love having you. If not, come join us in this one. We're glad to have you. If you got your Bibles, we are in the book of Revelation. If you've not been with us, let me just real quickly see if I can bring you up to date. The outline for the book of Revelation is actually given to us. It's really simple. It's in Revelation chapter 119. 
He says, write the things you have seen, the things which are, the things which are to come hereafter. The things that he has seen, that's chapter one. It's a very detailed description of Jesus and all of his glory. Write the things which are, those is, that's chapters two and three. That's seven letters to seven local churches that Jesus writes that were actually in existence in the time that uh, John got the vision. The things which are to come hereafter start in chapter 4, verse 1. We would hold the position that they are all still prophetic. They are still all coming. The, the major one of those events, which encompasses most of the book of Revelation, from chapter 6, verse 1, through chapter 19, is a seven-year period called the Tribulation. And it really opens up in chapter 6 with this seven-sealed book or seven-sealed scroll. And written on the outside of it, the idea of who, who was able to redeem it. It's a legal document, we think, for the idea of, of the control over the world, right? When God created the earth, he put man in charge. Man gave up his sovereignty over the earth to, to the enemy, to Satan, when, he re, when man rebelled and sinned and followed after Satan instead of the Lord. This is what has these six or these seven seals have to be executed in order to prepare the world for the Messiah. Now, the rightful man, the perfect God-man, to now come and to rule and reign. We've looked at the first six seals, judgments, that have been opened up. You know, we've looked at uh, war being taken, uh, or peace being taken from the world, war coming, uh, the Antichrist coming. We've looked at pestilence, all kinds of famine, disease, uh, martyrdom, all of those things coming. The first six of the seals. Last week in chapter 7 was a little bit of a parenthesis. So what God does in, in the book of Revelation is he sometimes stops the linear progression and goes back, gives us some idea of some other things that are going on uh, that maybe we wouldn't have known. And last week we looked at the ceiling of 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are going out preaching the gospels and Jews and Gentiles and people around the world are hearing the gospel, coming to faith in Christ. Now as we come to chapter 8, he comes back to the linear progression and he is going to open now this seventh seal. And that's what chapter 8 is all about. So we're going to read the chapter together. I'm going to read it out loud if you'll follow along. I always get asked, what version do you use? I use the New American Standard 1995. There you go. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. And much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake 
And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded... And a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened. And the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And then I looked and heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So chapter 8 here, as we get to it, is the opening of the seventh seal. And what we see is this idea that is Jesus begins to open. And so the, the picture here is either as he begins to open it in anticipation of what is coming, heaven grows silent, or as he opens it and unrolls it and people are able to see what is coming there is this hush that comes upon all of heaven this idea of awe and shock now you have to remember we've seen in the book of revelation heaven is not a quiet place you have coming from the throne of God thunderous sounds. You have the cherubim who continually before God are saying, holy, holy, holy. You have the 24 elders falling down and singing songs to, to the Lamb. You have the, the saints of all the ages singing the song of redemption, worthy are you. And now all of a sudden, in anticipation and in look at what is happening, heaven becomes silent. This is serious. Now I will tell you that some have theorized that what John is actually trying to get to here is this idea that in heaven there are no women. Because it's silent for 30 minutes. I'm with you. I was appalled. I, I just, I, I would, I, I couldn't believe anybody's mind would go there, right? And I obviously would never repeat that. That's not what he's saying. Though I do tell you, it gives me a little pause. Maybe there are no preachers in heaven. You know, that's a, that's a long time there. But the idea is, is that there is such a catch-your-breath moment at what is being done here and being poured out. Because the seventh seal, as he breaks it, now you remember each one, you know, there it came the white horse, the, 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 the Antichrist, and then uh, the red horse, the, the peace is taken from the earth. You know, there's this judgment. 
What the seventh seal is, it is not one more judgment. What the seventh seal is, it is a series of seven more judgments. So it plays out not as one, but as seven more called the trumpet judgments. And what we see here is that, in fact, it's an interesting expression. He says, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Right, so there's the idea that this is an ongoing. So one of the interesting pieces of the book of Revelation, if you've ever studied angelology or the study of angels in the Bible, Revelation gives us a lot of insight into them. There seems to be rank and order. And, and we read about these angels who stand in the very presence of God. And what I find fascinating is we've actually seen that expression before. Uh, do you remember John the Baptist? His dad was a man by the name of Zacharias. He, was a, he and his wife couldn't get pregnant. Zacharias was a priest. He's serving at the temple. He, by lot, was decided that during this time of service, he was the one that was to go into the holy place and tend to the, the lampstand before the Lord. So he goes in there all by himself. And if you remember, Gabriel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a son and talks to him about John the Baptist. But when Gabriel introduces himself, this is what he says. The angel answers, said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So these seven angels seem to be angels of a very high order who are there to go and to do God's bidding here on the earth. And they're given trumpets. And the idea of a trumpet would be the idea of calling and sounding the alarm. You look at it in the Old Testament, you see it was calling together for festivals. It was calling together for war. You see in the time of Nehemiah that it would be where they would gather on the wall because uh, maybe an invading army is coming. And that's the kind of the picture you get. But in prophecy, in the old, in the old minor prophets, you have it, the idea of a trumpet being blown in preparation for God's wrath to come. Maybe a verse you most, most of you would be familiar with. It's in a lot of songs that we sing. But it's in Joel 2, 1. It says, blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. What's the day of the Lord? It's the day of the Lord's return, specifically. But bigger than that, it's this time of tribulation. God is preparing the earth. It is the day of the Lord. The little prophet Zephaniah, I don't know if you've read Zephaniah much, but I think he references this. He says, near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord in it the warrior cries out bitterly a day of wrath is that day a day of trouble and distress a day of destruction and desolation a day of darkness and gloom a day of clouds and thick darkness a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers i will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the lord and their blood will be poured out like dust their flesh like dung, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete 
end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. That's what's playing out here. These trumpets are going to sound. It's a new set of seven judgments, these trumpet judgments. One of the other interesting insights that we're given here in verse 3 is he says, um, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it, add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which is before the throne. Now, if you've been with us, you remember back, I believe it's the fifth seal, Revelation chapter 6. It was the martyrs. And there in heaven were the prayers of the saints of how long, Lord, until you avenge us. So the question is, is, is the trumpet judgments the answer to those prayers that were prayed back in chapter 6? But we also saw back in chapter 5 all the saints before God who are offering prayers and praise. And that's an interesting question. Because this, this series of trumpet judgments is in essence different than the seal judgments. The seal judgments were primarily against men or mankind, right? Peace is taken, famine and pestilence come, lots of death, a fourth of the world's population, martyrdom. The, bold, or the trumpet judgments, as we see here, is not primarily against mankind directly. What the trumpet judgments are focused on, they're focused on creation. You had the vegetation, you had the seas, you had the, the fresh water, you have the stars in the heaven. Spoiler alert, in case you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, what you're going to find is there's, there's actually a third set of judgments that are coming. They're called the bold judgments. They're actually focused primarily on the Antichrist, the beast, and the people who follow after him. My sense is, is that when you look here at the prayers of the saints go up before God, it's, it's not primarily those of the martyrs. I think they're more dealt with in that last series of bold judgments. When I think the trumpet judgments, I think it's the prayers of God's people of all time. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That we have prayed all this time, you know, that land, that time when there will be peace and there will be no more war, when uh, the lion will lay down with the lamb because this set of judgments is focused on creation. When you start looking at these judgments, though, one of the things that to me is pretty obvious is that there's a, there's a really close coordination with the, some of the judgments that God put out against Egypt. So you remember the story? God took the children of Israel, when they're you know, not even 80 people, down to Egypt. Joseph had become in charge to protect them, to allow them to grow. For 450 years, they became a great nation within Egypt, and then God's going to deliver them out through Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Maybe you've seen the movie. Uh, Pharaoh won't do that. So God now begins to send plagues, judgments, 10 of them. I'm going to put them up here real quick. 
uh, water's turned in, into blood. Oh, wait a minute, water turned into blood. Didn't we just kind of read some of that? Frogs, gnats, you get down here, pestilence, hail, fire. Well, sure enough, when you take these trumpet judgments and you lay them next to these, all six of these are seen within the plagues that God sent. There's a very interesting scripture. I honestly, before preparing for this sermon, I'd never seen it before. It's in the little book of Micah. He's talking about, he, he's prophesying about the ultimate day of the Lord and the Messiah coming and the restoration of Israel. And this is what he says in Micah chapter 7, verse 15. As in the, in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. So I think there's a correlation here. So, so what do we learn, okay? Well, then these are like the plagues that God has already done. What can we learn from that? Well, primarily is then when you look at these things, you always have the question, is this figurative? Is he just, you know, uh, trying to get us the idea that it's bad or are they more literal in nature? Uh, do we really, a third of all of the, the ground is going to be destroyed? A third of the trees are going to be destroyed? And my sense is, is that because we see the correlation with the literal plagues that came to Egypt, that that's probably the better way to think about it. Now, having said that, the Lord certainly at times uses the language of appearance. You know, sometimes people... Uh, you know, we talk about the sun rising, the sun setting. I've heard people say, well, the Bible says that and that's wrong. Well, yeah, it's the language of appearance. It's, it's how we talk. The Bible, in fact, do you know that the Bible knew that the earth was round way before man figured it out? Job, it's in the, and it's a whole other, it's in the book of Job, by the way. I just leave that, all right? But he does use the language of appearance sometimes. So how much of this is appearance, right? The, of and even uses like for instance when you look there verse 8 the second angel sounded in something like so he's not telling us it's a great mountain but it's like a great mountain so the pictures are there so my sense is that we need to lean towards the kind of literal fulfillment and the descriptions are trying to describe what's going on the second thing i would remind you about the the plagues on egypt is that they ramped up in intensity Right, so it kind of started, the water's turned to blood, wasn't that big of a thing, and they're temporary. You know, they dug around it and they got water, but they picked up in intensity. Well, that's what Jesus said was going to happen now. Remember, he used the picture of a woman in labor. Contractions start, the closer you get to giving birth, the contractions get more severe, or so I've been told. Is that correct? And they get closer to each other. And I think that's what's happening. So they start, we have the, the first six seals. They were pretty major for the world's population. But now when you get to these trumpet judgments, they pick up in intensity. Sometimes people ask me, well, you know, timing, like where are we in the tribulation? And the answer is we're not told. 
We don't know for sure. We don't know how long it'll take for the first six seals. But my sense is, if you think that it's gonna, they're going to get closer together, they're going to get more intense, that we're probably about the halfway mark, which would tie into then what Jesus said in Matthew 24. But then there will be great tribulation. This is after the abomination of desolations that happens at the midpoint. Such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless these days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. I think that starts ramping up here with these trumpet judgments. I don't have much time left. Let's look at them. Verse 7. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So the first trumpet sounds, and it is a judgment against the vegetation. What we read here is that hail and fire almost sounds a little bit like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Coming from above. So is this a supernatural? God just begins to rain it down? Or could it be... If you remember back in verse 5, uh, it says the angel uh, took the censer, threw it down. There were peals of thunder, sounds of flash of lightning, and an earthquake. Well, one of the things that happens with earthquakes is a lot of times that represents volcanic activity. And could, could it be that volcanoes begin to just uh, erupt and explode so much so that fire rains down and a third of all the, the trees... Now think about that for a moment. A third of all the trees in the world are burned up. Can you imagine the catastrophe that that is? The smoke that is in the air... And it's not just pine trees and maple trees, but it's trees to produce food. So we've already had some issues with famine. So, so that's what continues to go on. It, I think kind of reflects what Joel tells us. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Notice also, it, it's a third of the earth or the vegetation, a third of the trees but all the green grass. Well, why all the green grass? Well, think about it. On the earth, when is all the grass on the earth green at the same time? The answer is it's not because it's on two different halves of the hemisphere, right? But that which is green that time, depending on summer or winter, is burned up. The second one, second angel sounded, verse eight, and something like, again, a picture here, a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the creatures which are in the sea and had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Something like a great mountain. I don't know. Asteroid? Maybe volcanic activity uh, blowing pieces of mountain into the ocean uh, I, I think the idea here is a couple things one is that you you know if you're taking out a third of the boat you're probably thinking a giant tsunami someplace around a, a third of the fish and the animal life in the ocean dead can you imagine what that would smell like a couple days after that took place Whew. 
You know, we had a little, little glimpse. We didn't lose a third of the ships of the sea, but we lost most of our ports being shut down in 2020. Remember what that did to the whole supply chain and getting toilet paper? Yeah. The third, verse 10, third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters. Now, Wormwood, by the way, is a shrub, and it was very toxic. They would put it in a very strong liquor, but you had to be careful because it actually was a poison and could kill people. Uh, the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they be, were made bitter. So something, you know, again, the, the picture here is uh, a great star. So, I don't know. And again, I don't know. Could it be a, you know, picture of a, of like a torch falling in the sea. Could, could, it be, could it be nuclear war? And the contamination. So that um, the fresh waters are contaminated with r- radiation. Something about them, but you have, to, you have to drink, and so you do drink, and many men die. So again, men are affected by this. Mankind's affected, but primarily it's on creation. Then the fourth trumpet sounds, and this is against the heavens. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars were struck. So a third of them would be darkened. Now, this sounds a little bit like the sixth seal, but again, remember, these are temporary, so it doesn't go on forever. But, but think what would happen if a third of the sun and its light and its heat was taken away. You know, when all of a sudden what is warm becomes cold very quickly, and you think of the storms that would be produced on something like that. I mean, it's just going to be unparalleled in history what's being poured out. And then you get to verse 13. And this, this should give us pause. Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in midheaven. And by the way, some people, every time they see an eagle in prophecy, they're thinking America. It is isn't America. It has nothing to do with it. An eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. This eagle begins to cry out, woe, woe, woe. The idea here is, folks, as bad as this is, you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, you talk about wanting to catch your breath because of what is yet to come. And see, this is why I think it is so hard for some American Christians to accept the book of Revelation because we have created God as this God who is like grandpa in heaven. And all he is is warm and fuzzy because he's a God of love, he's a God of grace, which he is, but there's no justice there's no righteousness. There's no judgment. And the reality is that our God is a God of grace. He is a God of 
incredible compassion, loving kindness that will never end. But he is also a God who is just. And he has warned the world over and over. I mean, we've been reading in the Old Testament 2,000 years ago. The day of the Lord is coming. And when it comes, it's going to be incredible. Couldn't help but think of that verse in Hebrews that we looked at. If you weren't with us, we studied the book of Hebrews before we got to Revelation. Hebrews 10.31 says that it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And I just need you to know and to understand, folks, that there's a day coming when God is going to rule and he is going to reign in justice and righteousness and truth. And that everyone will stand before him. It's in Revelation chapter 20. It's called the great white throne judgment. And everything in your life will be brought out and he will judge justly. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's why the message, the message of Jesus is so important. Because God is just. He has, to, he has to judge my sin. The beautiful thing is, he already did. He did it in Jesus. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung in my place. And if you will come and put your faith, your trust in Jesus, you will ask him to be your savior. You will be forgiven. Your sins will have already been dealt with. You will never fear standing before a holy God but apart from him there is a day of judgment coming it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God but I have to remind you because we spent quite a bit of time talking about this when we were in Hebrews 10:31. that verse is not written to those who don't know Jesus it's not written to those apart from Christ is written to us who know him ooh ooh no because as a loving father who has saved us he knows how destructive sin is in fact where he's going in that whole passage in Hebrews is Hebrews 12 whom the Lord loves he disciplines and sadly, as Christians, we have the same idea. Well, I've been saved, I've been forgiven, I don't have to worry about the great right throne, and you're exactly right, you don't. But you also have to remember, God's a God of justice. But here's the beauty, and I don't want you to miss this. None of us can go back and fix yesterday. As much as we might want to, we can't. But in Jesus, there is forgiveness and there is grace and there is he never tires of our new beginning but he is always trying to call us back to following after him and the problem is i think for for so many of us that we well i'm saved i know jesus but i'm walking in disobedience so it's okay i'm just going to continue my sin always has consequences it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And he's talking to his own children there. Because the call to us is not to be saved and to just go live however we want. The call for us is to know him and then to follow after him. 
if you're walking in disobedience, he loves you. He will forgive you. But if there just continues to be rebellion, God deals with sin. He just does. 